Welcome to Digital Hospitality. I am your host, Sean Walchef. This is a Cali BBQ Media production. Every single week, we talk about digital hospitality. Every business needs to be digital. Every business needs to be in the hospitality business. This is one of the greatest times to be in business. Um, we are so excited that today's guest is a good friend from the barbecue space, um, somebody that we met thanks to the National Barbecue Association. We met in 2017, actually. The National MBBQA was held at, um, the annual conference was held in Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, Jason Ganahl, GQ Barbecue, welcome to the show. Hey, Sean, good to be here. Thanks for having me. And I couldn't agree more with you. This is a great time to be in business. Yeah. And, you know, it was it's so funny, you know, when you go to a conference, especially for National Barbecue Association or any conference, no matter what business you're in, um, both you and I, we both own barbecue restaurants. We're both in media. Um, we both do events. We participate in events. We produce events. Um, but you never know what you're going to get. And I think one of the greatest things about any kind of event is the people that you meet. And um, when I went, I remember you were doing a presentation on social media and the things that you were talking about were a lot of the experiences that I had experienced running Cali Barbecue, um, but then a lot of differences. Um, you had a lot of great insights and that's one of the best things about networking is you get to learn from like-minded people. We say that a rising tide lifts all ships. Uh, we're grateful that anyone that listens to this podcast, um, no matter where you are in the world, no matter what business you're in, hopefully every week we get you guests that have insight that you can use in your business. And, you know, so many of the conferences that I went to um, actually NBBQA, one of those conferences that I went to when it was here in San Diego, um, Robin from Robin's uh, Barbecue up in Pasadena, California, he gave a presentation about his barbecue business, but he basically said a story about that they were a barbecue, a breakfast restaurant, and they went all in on barbecue and the whole town, the whole community said, you're crazy, you can't do that. And it ended up, you know, he had an incredible run. He started selling barbecue, tri-tip sandwiches at the Rose Bowl, tried, you know, just doing all this really cool stuff with barbecue. And it was at that time where I was like, hey, if this guy can do it, I can do it. And like that's that, what, what city was that? Pasadena. Pasadena. That's what they say about Denver too. If you try to do barbecue in Denver, you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's part of that's why I'm so excited to have you on, Jason. Is you know part of our story, the West Coast barbecue movement, as we like to so-called say it, is we're in untraditional barbecue places, places where people don't think of the America meccas of barbecue. It's not Kansas City. We're not in Texas, we're not in Memphis, you know, we're not in the Carolinas. When you go to Colorado, when you started your business, I've heard you, you know, on multiple interviews talk about, you know, there was no slow smoke barbecue in Colorado. What you were doing was different and it was unique. And part of what I'm excited to talk to you about today is, first of all, take me back to Fort Worth um, and remind me and our audience what you talked about as far as social media goes, because social media is so important to how we run our business. And I know it's important to how you run your business. But yeah. you give us some quick tips about back in 2017 and where we are three years later, how much has, has how much has changed? Well, <laughs> how that presentation would be different. Yeah, it's changing exponentially. I mean, yeah. it, you know, I, I think of like technology in the advances. I mean, it's not linear at all. It is literally going going like this. I mean, I, I, I my restaurant's only five years old, but I remember like the fax machine. Uh, people used the fax machine, and they would send over fax orders for for catering orders. 
And that was a couple of years before I got going. So think of all the things we're doing digitally now versus where we've just come from the fax machine. And that's in a mere what, like seven or eight years. So yeah. think where we're going to go seven or eight years from what we're doing now. I yeah. mean, you look at what COVID has really sped up that process and it's really uh, gotten a lot of the, the bigger companies, which I think are a lot slower to act to things like digitally. It's really gotten them on board and you see how they're transforming their entire build outs of all their new stores. And I, I'm really fascinated to, to see where it's going to be in, in five to seven years. And as the technology companies create new applications that we as restaurateurs can leverage and use in our businesses. I know what a lot of people are talking about is robotics, but I don't really see how that's going to work with barbecue. I mean, barbecue is not kind of a, a set it and forget it type of business. And then when these different types of technologies get created and they get utilized, I can't see how government is going to allow robotics to take over and eliminate all those jobs. I foresee a certain type of automated tax being placed on businesses that are going to use and fully automate their businesses so that there's a disincentive almost to reduce those jobs. So it'll be very interesting to see how all that stuff plays out, how how technology and how innovators and entrepreneurs and creators create different things uh, for different people to use. And then how does government allow that to be utilized by those different people and stuff so that society can still function at, at, at a high level, too. So it's a fascinating time uh, we live in. I, I think I kind of went down a, a pathway. You're asking me about the no, but, but Sean, that all seems archaic to me. And I'll tell you one of the, the main topics I remember teaching isn't, people. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? That all, three years ago, we're talking about a conference that you and I both attended three years ago that we were presenting on cutting edge information, you know, in yes. 2017. I'm yes. talking about podcasts and turning your barbecue business into a media company. You're talking about Instagram and all these other things that you were doing on social media. And then now looking back on that, I'm like, oh my God, look how much has changed in three it's years. It's crazy. It's crazy. And it's almost, it's, it's almost hard to kind of keep up uh, with all of it. I, I mean, I, I, that is my, that was my, that is still my, my pivotal role is just sales and marketing within this business. But I'm actually right now trying to hire a director of marketing right now, as we look for another, we're starting, I've got, I created an ice cream brand a couple of yep. years ago. So we got a new ice cream store that's going, I've got a new barbecue store we're looking at trying to get going. So I'm getting a pulled in a lot of diff different directions that I can't give the sales and marketing the attention that it needs. So I'm looking to hire somebody right now uh, to do that, but to stay on top of all this stuff that's out there uh, and, and not just to do it. Anybody can be doing like, I mean, you can do social media just to do it and you think you're doing it well, but how to make sure you're actually moving the needle on these different things and of where you're going to spend your time and energy. What's the best place that's going to help your business best overall. I mean, that takes a lot of time and a lot of resources to put those kind of reporting mechanisms in place. Cause I mean, I know the most valuable thing for me is, is, is my time. And I want to make sure it's being spent in the ways that's going to be the, the most productive for me, not just in the business, but whether it's my time that I have with my wife, whether it's the time that I have for my kids, as we grow and we get more employees, time that I used to spend with some of our employees that have been with us a long time now gets reduced. How do I make them feel so that they're still just as important with me, even though we don't get to spend the time that we used to spend together? Uh, I, the thing that my most precious commodity is time. And, and, and how do you deploy that so that uh, there's enough of you to go around to, to everybody too. It, it's, it's and using technology to do that. Right. I mean, it's, uh, it's all just, it's all, it's all fascinating. And I, I agree with what you said. It's a great time to be in business and a great time to be alive. Yeah. I think, you know, what you talk, what you just addressed is something that is 
been an issue for me. You know, we've only been a single unit restaurant for since 2008. And right now we're opening our second location, but I also have to manage my time. You know, I have gotten to the place where it's, are you working in your business? Or are you working on your business? You know, and you're somebody yeah. that you've grown locations, you're managing multiple brands. I mean, you participate and you have, uh, organizational role, I'm guessing in the Denver barbecue festival, which is a huge part of growing the sport of barbecue in Colorado, in the West coast is, you know, planting flags, letting people know that it's not just in Austin, Texas. It's not just, you know, in, in St. Louis, and it's not just in Memphis, like all these places have incredible barbecue and incredible history, but like other people like you, other people like Matt Horn up in San Francisco and Oakland, you know, they're all planting flags. And this is a global thing. This is not just an America thing anymore. The internet has gotten rid of all of those boundaries. And that's powerful because people in Israel, people in Norway, people in Canada, people in Australia, they're coming and looking for content. You know, and like one of the reasons I was so excited to talk to you is about you're building a YouTube channel. You know, yeah. we're talking about now you're trying to hire someone to do your job. And yeah. I know because I know that you have the same blood type as me, part of what makes us different is that we're practitioners. So we're actually doing it and using it so you can see what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. And what you said early on was like, you don't want to just do social media to do social media. Correct. Like anybody can check the box, but yes. checking the box doesn't work. It doesn't resonate for your brand and who yes. you are. Yes. What kind of challenges do you have being the founder, the person that is usually on camera, hiring somebody that's also going to produce content? Because as you grow out, you have to, like you said, figure out your time. Your time as a dad, your time as a husband, but yes. also your time as an entrepreneur. What's your what's your ideal ideal balance for that moving forward? Yeah, well, that's a constant struggle. And, and, and just the thought, I mean, the evolution of being a founder to trying to grow a business, which I, I love the thrill and I love the challenge of, of, of seeing, how, you know, can we grow and can we grow in a way that we can still produce the same quality of barbecue when it was the very first uh, shop in the very first store? Give me, an right? idea. Give me an idea for the for the listeners. So we have the first shop, how many square feet? 2,400 square feet. The second one has the ice cream attached right next to it. So it's, it's 4,000 square feet for, for, okay. for, for both of them. We got a standalone ice cream shop right next to the barbecue place. Uh, but our sweet you. spot I'd say is about 2,500 to 2,800 ish. If we can get the pits outside, if we have to have the pits inside then probably 3,000 uh, square feet, it, you kind of want, you want it to be like a Tuesday afternoon and it's full and there's always energy in there. Like I, I don't want it so big to where it feels like it's, it's dead. I always want it to feel like there's a lot of energy, whether it's a Monday or Tuesday lunch or a Friday or Saturday night dinner. And now, I mean, this last year, everything's, enjoyed for the most part offsite. Yeah. Well, can you, let, let's talk a little bit more about, so you started with one, you added the ice cream for your second, right? So your second location was a second location plus another brand. Yes. Yeah. So I wasn't sure if we could do barbecue. I mean, you look, you look at all the different brands that are all over the country and how many of them are execute at what I would call a very high level with multiple stores. Yeah. Very few. Now I think that's changing. I think people are getting better at, at, at making barbecue 
in multiple locations. So when, when I was considering opening up a second store, this is going back three or four years ago. I mean, I think of places like, uh, like Joe's barbecue in Kansas city, they, they had two stores, but there weren't many places that were executing in a very high level that were very well known and doing a really good job. So I was really scared of that. So what I thought about doing was opening up an ice cream shop (laughs) so that if it wasn't good, people would say, Hey, let's go get that barbecue place and get the ice cream and we can get away with serving good barbecue, but not very good barbecue. But now that we've got two years underneath our belt, um, you know, I I use like your online reputation is pretty much everything nowadays. So I, I, I look at Google and I, I utilize that. I utilize the conversations I have with the employees that I have. I utilize the conversations that I have with the guests. I utilize all the direct messaging that we get from all of our guests to kind of get a sense of where we're at and what our perception are and, and how we're performing. Ultimately, there is one, um, if you want to call it a, a, a resource for a review or one judge or one uh, decision maker that ultimately decides the fate of your business. And that's the cash register. The cash register will decide how your business is going at any given time, but you could have a really good day and perform poorly. And if you don't have those other diagnostic indicators, you can't tell really kind of how you're trending and stuff, right? Because the cash register oftentimes is a lagging indicator of where you're at, where those other indicators are very real time of how you're doing and how you're performing at any, at any real time moment. Right? So uh, yeah, once we got that second one going, we got two years under our belt. I know now that we can, feed people really good barbecue at multiple locations. So now I'm excited to try a third and I'm going to keep doing them until I no longer feel like we can keep, keep up that, that very high level. And maybe it's three, maybe it's four, maybe we can do five or six. I I don't know. I have no idea, but I'll continue to assess and we'll see where we go. But I, I know we're in a place right now. We got competent leaders. I've got great staff. I got great employees. We need to figure out the training part uh, with two locations. It's still easy for me to get around and make sure everything's going well. But uh, at our at our at our first store, we got people that have been with us a long time. They have a lot of pride in what they do. Um, they they want to they, they they come to work. They want to make a difference for the, the guests that are coming in. We want to make sure we're giving them the best barbecue they've ever had, the best twenty minutes of their day with their service. We want to make sure they feel important when they come in. They take that aspect very seriously. Uh, the, the the group down here, same thing. We got good management in place. We got some some staff now that's been with us for a long time. We've got a little bit of uh, uh, a tenure now for some of our seasoned kitchen staff. Uh, so now I feel like we're in a good place to, to to try to try a third location. What is your relationship with Old Hickory Pits? It's great. I was just texting with Alex this morning. <laughs> so Alex Knight, his dad, David, David is the founder of Old Hickory Pits. Alex lives out here in Denver. And so I have a great relationship with Alex. Um, he's going by to shoot. I think he's going to take some pictures for a training video that they're doing on one of our, one of our uh, pits that we have up at our, at our North store. Yeah. I think one of the things that I'm fascinated with is, you know, we talk about this, the greatest time to be in business and, you know, what's reported is obviously all these restaurants closing all the struggles. And that's why talking to someone like you, you have such a depth of perspective, the same that I have, that there's never been a time where the relationship between a restaurant owner and their vendors has been more powerful because those vendors that we use, they need us just as much as we need them, if not more. Because you're an active, involved, engaged client, you give them feedback that they would normally have to go and ask for. 
But not only do you give them feedback, you give them content, which is even more powerful. Uh, yeah. Once your business becomes a media company, you're just talking about Old Hickory Pits, which is the pits that you use. It's the same pits that we use out here, same pits that we're going to be adding as we add locations. Nice. Incredible company, Cape Girardeau. We went over there. Luke was just, you know, phenomenal. He went out of his way to show us the old part of Old Hickory, the old factory that they started. And actually, when we went out there, I want to say it was 2016, I went out there with Gene and my wife. But we toured the whole facility, went around, met Dave, um, met, the, went to the new hangar where they're building everything out. But going there to see where the equipment is made, it adds a different element. And it adds an element as somebody that so many businesses, we use vendors for all different kinds of things, but we don't ask them their story. We care so much about our customer story, but the vendor relationship is so important too, right? Yeah, totally. Tell, yeah, me, about, I, tell me about the difference of your perspective now as opposed to when you were a single unit, uh, single unit operator. Oh, gosh. Uh, I got some great stories uh, <laughs> from that. Uh, I, I remember, and I, I didn't have restaurant experience. I'd worked in a restaurant from the time I was 13, started out as a dishwasher, busboy, and then worked my way up to a bartender by the time I was 23 or 24. So I always enjoyed the restaurant uh, lifestyle, but at 24, I, I, you know, I was out of it. I didn't get back into it until five years ago. And as a, as a first time restaurant tour, I mean, all your vendors, uh, they just figure you've got no shot, no chance. They don't want to do business with you at all. And, and I, I could tell a couple different stories here and I'll tell one really quick one. Um, I remember going around, I've got a guy that uh, was going to be our broker. And, uh, and he wouldn't even drive around places with me. So I said, well, just drive around. If you find a place you like, send it to me and I'll, I'll find out the information on it. And now they're calling me, sending me stuff every single week. Hey, what do you think about this? Let's go look at all this kind of stuff. So it's completely 180 uh, from that time. <laughs> the reverse now, funnel. Now, now everyone's working for you. Exactly. It's you you can open fun. 10 stores, Jason. We're going to lay them out. I've got a ball picked up for you. Oh, that's great. Uh, so I remember I found a place and uh, there was a sign in the window. I was like, oh, this, this is it. And, and then it was just a place that was close to home. Uh, I got four kids. Uh, so I just needed a place uh, close to home. And so I thought this, this place, I could see it happening. And so I, I, I there was a number on the, on the window. I sent it to him. He called. Uh, they, they were advertising it for $18 a square foot. This would have been about six and a half years ago in Denver, which is a really good price. And it's not a, it's not a great location. Yeah. $18 a square foot. That's a good job. Yeah. 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 For sure. Oh, I mean, I would assume out in San Diego, your real estate's crazy here. It's, 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 I think it's, it's stupid and it has to change. The taxes are way too high on buildings and and, and the, the rent rates are way too high that I do think I mean, COVID has exposed the bubble big time, but there's been a frothing bubble in in commercial real estate, restaurant real estate rent prices here in Denver, in my opinion, yeah. uh, over the last probably three or four years. And then the tax rates on those properties have been crazy, which they just pass, pass down to the operators. But anyway, they, uh, they, they listed that at 18 and the broker said, I think if you sign a 10 year lease, I can get that place for you for $15 a square foot. What do you think about that? I, I almost fall out of my chair. I was like, holy cow, if you can get that for $15, uh, 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 yes, I'll sign it. Uh, let's see what you can do. He calls back and he's like, the lowest they'll go is $24 a square foot. <laughs> but not only did it, not only did it not go down, but it went up and it went up a significant amount, almost to the point where when I ran the numbers, I'm like, oh my God, I don't, I don't know if we can do this. I don't know if it's worth the while. I don't know if it's worth the risk of putting the money into it. And of course you hear all the horror stories of opening a restaurant. Like I had some really 
difficult decisions to make uh, relating to all that. But all that goes back to first time operator. You haven't been in a restaurant before. Oh, we're, you're, we're not going to give you this place for, for $18 a square foot. You're going to, you're going to pay heartedly uh, for it. And it's the same with like the food vendors and stuff like that too, in order to get leverage. And for any, any person who's considering a restaurant and only got one restaurant, my buying power increase where I give all of my business. Sure. I might be able to find meat, better at one particular vendor. I might be able to get my buns better from buying them somewhere else. I might be able to pick and choose all the different places, but I get more leverage when I can combine it all and give it to just one place. Yeah. And so by giving by, by giving all of my business to just one food distributor, that certainly helped in the beginning. But now I feel like with our volumes between the two different stores, the second store is, is mature now, it's doing good. So between both stores, I feel like I, I can get the attention of all the different vendors. But what I learned through this entire process is that I want to do business with people I like more than any, any, anybody else and people that I have relationships with people that, that like to your point where it's mutually beneficial, that they're going to look out kind of for me versus just for like the bottom line. And I, I understand everybody's going to do business, but we got all kinds of different vendors and there's some that you just like a lot more. And that's really what I use to decide who my vendors are going to be more so than potentially anything else is who's, who's who values me as a customer. Uh, who do we enjoy each other's conversation so that they're more likely to pick up the phone just because we want to talk for a little bit and, and see where we're at and stuff. And so I, I try to really do business with, with people I like more so than people who might have the save me a dollar or might be able to get it to me faster for a week or so. So tying it all back to old Hickory. I mean, if you, if you've ever met David, and certainly Alex, I mean, they're, 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 they're some of the most hospitable people they are. They get to know you. They get to know your business. They're great for our industry. They're always the first one to, to help out and supply pits, whether it's through operational barbecue relief. Uh, I just had a, 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 a pretty long conversation with Alex probably about two or three weeks ago. And he's going to be creating some amazing content uh, for the barbecue industry this year. And I'm super excited to see what he puts out. But to build a community of, of, of all the people that utilize Old Hickory to really try to bring them together and to allow them to uh, learn from each other. So I'm really excited to, to what they create, but they're a perfect example of, of, of doing business with somebody you like. And sure, we could have found barbecue pits that were a little bit cheaper and stuff. Anybody who's bought an old hickory knows it's not, it's not inexpensive, uh, but, it, but there's, there are people that you like to do business with and you want to see them do well also too. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the power of what's happening right now is, you know, when you do create that community and you do have partners that understand that the marketing works both ways, you know, when you're creating content, like if we create content, which we've talked about frequently, we just uh, switched our point of sale system over to toast and we did a whole unboxing video. We've done multiple videos about why we switched from Aloha to toast and Aloha, you know, we had for 12 years, but we switched to toast, but that, act of us creating content for them has made a deeper relationship with toast so that there's people there that are willing to do things that they wouldn't other otherwise do because we're willing to go out of our way, not just for ourselves, but to help other restaurant owners who might be in the same position that we were going, why should I switch? I keep hearing about switching or I'm trying to become a digital restaurant. I'm trying to, you know, improve my website. What are the benefits of toast or what are the benefits of having an old hickory? Like, 
until you hear from somebody like yourself that owns multiple locations, you don't know it because it's different when it comes from Old Hickory. It's different when it comes from Toast. When it comes from Jason from GQ that's out there creating it, he's using the product. I mean, that's the micro influencer type of world that we live in. But if it's true and authentic and not, oh, I'm getting paid to do this. No, I'm doing it because I like doing business with them. And in return, they give us all kinds of different opportunities that we wouldn't have otherwise. Correct. I totally agree. Um, Tell me more about uh, sports. Sports. You're you're a sports guy. Love it. Buffalo guy. I went to Buffalo. I went to see you from 2000 to 2003 did a semester in Spain and then I came back home to help my grandfather. But, um, we had some good times up on the hill. Uh, <laughs> yeah. None, none. I didn't go to see you, but we, we, we feed the coaching staff every single week. How did you uh, get that opportunity? Um, I just, I'm around the program all the time. So, uh, I, like, like you said, I love sports. I love going, love going to the games. Uh, I just reached out to them, uh, said, Hey, I got a barbecue place. You guys want to try some barbecue? And they said yes, and then we just hit it off. That was with the very first coach, uh, Coach Coach McIntyre, the very first coach when I had the restaurant. And so me and Coach McIntyre actually became uh, friends. We had each other's cell phone numbers. Wouldn't like talk all the time, but the occasional text message. And of course, whenever I'm around, uh, you know, the the the, the they, they built the new training center. Uh, champion center now, but we would talk and all that kind of stuff. We're friendly and they're very appreciative of, of what we do uh, for them. We, we help out buffs for life um, program. We, we, we donate a bunch of food for their big fundraiser every single year. Um, but, but I love, I love athletics. I love the opportunities it creates for people. I love competition. Um, I just, I, I, I unfortunately never was a good enough athlete to play anything beyond high school, high school. I played football, basketball, baseball. I played uh, baseball for, in college for one year, I had opportunities to go to some D2 schools for, um, for, for basketball and football, but, uh, I didn't want to go to a D2, D2 school. It was never, never anything I was interested in, but yeah, I just love everything there is. Uh, the hair on the back of my neck stands up when you go to a college football game, the band starts playing. Uh, there's so much emotion from like the student section, uh, having a couple drinks in you. I mean, it's just a great, a great environment. And I really missed that uh, this fall, not being able to go to those games up there in Boulder. And, and they had a great team. <clears throat> you know, we were ma- making the joke with my wife, you know, like this is, uh, they, they've gone to, I think one bowl game. I don't know the, the numbers, but I want to say in the last 13 years. And so this was an opportunity to go, well, it was, um, it was Dan Hawkins first year was the, the, the last bowl game before Mike McIntyre uh, took them to the Alamo bowl. You're the one that they won the uh, PAC 12 South and then lost in the PAC 12 championship game. So this would have been uh, since I, I've been in, in the area, the second bowl game. Yeah. In about 12 or 13 years, it was, it was also Nick Saban's first year was that was that year. Cause they played Nick Saban in that bowl game. It was Alabama versus Colorado, I guess, 13 years ago, wow. uh, Nick Saban's uh, first, first year at Alabama. So I was joking around with my wife the other day that wouldn't, wouldn't that be something so 2020 that uh, the buffs get to go to a bowl game and we can't now, only can we not go to the games but we can't uh go to the go to the bowl game my wife was recently elected a regent at cu so she's oh, really? very involved 
up wow. at CU and, and everything that they have. So we we just love, and she went to CU and she loves college football. So we love just being around just uh, the university in the fall. And you know, have haven't gone to Boulder, but Boulder in the fall with the leaves and just the the smell in the air. I mean, there's just there's nothing like it. And I, I am literally getting excited uh, just telling you about you're it. Getting you're getting me you're getting me fired up to get back out there. <laughs> I can't wait for that next year. And it was odd watching home games on TV uh, yeah. this year. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, I mean, the, the thing that I, I love is that when, whenever, I mean, this is our way into sports entertainment and everyone has their own story, but when you see a brand and you think of an independent restaurant, you don't think of professional sports. You don't think of D one athletics, you you made an outreach like you were already involved in the program and you decided to get your business involved with barbecue and i think that that's one of the biggest lessons that we try to teach on this podcast to people that are listening is when you own a business like that's the greatest thing you've already done all the hard work you're the entrepreneur like if you choose if you love sports there is a way into sports Yes. Like you don't have to have a huge budget budget. We don't have to be an enterprise restaurant to go, okay, this is our sponsorship deal with the chargers. No, you can go grassroots the way that we did to a place where eventually we're feeding Antonio Gates and Joey Bosa. And, you know, these are just incredible offers that I would have done for free. Forget about yes. getting paid from, from like getting paid to do it. I mean, it would just from a marketing perspective, it would have been great for us. And it was, and it still is. What did you do yes. to get your location in um, in your in in Power Field? In Power Field, yeah. So we're we're at in Power Field at Mile High, and it was similar to what you just said. So you know, the, the barbecue isn't going to sell itself, right? Like you said earlier, we're not in Kansas City, we're not we're not in Austin, we're not in, we're not in St. Louis. People aren't going to get off the plane and type in their phone best place to go get barbecue. You got to be out there and you got to be getting it in people's mouths. And so the, the, the empower opportunity came through the Denver barbecue festival. So anybody that knows um, the, the real muscle behind the hustle of the Denver barbecue festival is a gentleman by the name of Brian Wabi and uh, Brian Wabi created the Q and the Lou festival, which is in that same family. So that's his, his portfolio of, uh, of barbecue festivals. And he started that probably, I don't know, five or six, five or six years ago. And I started messaging him. <laughs> I was like, Hey, Brian, I'm from St. Louis. I was like, Brian, how through email, through text. I can't even remember. Um, I can't even remember. I was like, the, uh, point, the point, the reason I ask is people can't discriminate. If you want something, you go through Twitter, you go through email, you go through text message, you go through in person, whatever you have to do to yeah. let somebody know you're there and you want the opportunity. And that's what you, that's exactly what you did. Cause that's, yeah. that's how we roll. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you show up, if you show up enough, eventually someone's going to go, Hey, can you do that? Right. They're going to be like, this guy is so annoying. Listen, you got to leave me alone or they'll take a liking to you and they'll want to be friends with you and be a Correct. part of you. Right. Correct. So I started messaging him somehow. And I was like, listen, I'm from St. Louis. I, I see you put on this barbecue festival. Uh, it's awesome. I can't wait to attend it. I know some of those uh, guys that you have that are in the barbecue festival. What a cool idea. Thank you so much for doing it. If you ever come out to Denver, Colorado, I have a barbecue restaurant. And I'd love to meet you 
come on in, let's eat some barbecue and all that kind of stuff. And so I, I probably did that for, I don't know how, how many, however many times. And we didn't, we didn't meet at all. A true um, salesman. Yes. And I, that's my background. You're one step closer yeah. to a yes. Yeah. And then finally we met, and I'm trying to think of the first time we met and I can't remember how the first time we met, but it might've been ironically through old Hickory. Cause I know he's really close with David and Alex and those guys. Um, but long story short, uh, he put together that Denver barbecue festival and which was, it's, it's huge for the barbecue community. And there was people in college, you had mentioned earlier, nobody doing like smoked meat here in Denver. There were people doing uh, barbecue here in Denver, but it just wasn't popular at all to anybody outside of Denver. And there wasn't like the relationships. People didn't have the relationships with other barbecue places to where uh, it was, it was, they don't go to the water cooler on Monday morning to talk about their favorite place to get barbecue in Denver. And it still is. And I think it's changing big time. I think we've got right now, we've got probably seven to nine places that are doing excellent barbecue all the time. I don't think they nearly get the enough attention and respect that they deserve. I think right now here in Denver, Colorado, there's three places that I would take and I'd be happily, I'd happily go up against any three places in any other city toe to toe. I think it's just as good as barbecue being served in, in those other cities. Um, and it's cool here in Denver to talk down on Denver barbecue places because Denver, much like myself, I'm a transplant from St. Louis to California to Colorado. A lot of people move here and a lot of people move here from the Midwest. They move here from Kansas city. They move here from Nebraska, even people in Nebraska, very proud of their barbecue in Nebraska, Iowa, very proud of their barbecue in Iowa. They come here from many places in the Midwest and they just thumb their nose at, at Colorado and Denver barbecue. And it's cool to, to, to do that. You know, a lot of people, believe it or not from Texas, even move up here from Colorado, but I do think that's changing. There's places like proud souls barbecue. Uh, Tony is a friend of mine. We actually went to high school together and we competed in barbecue contests uh, for a while and he opened up a barbecue supply shop. And so now he's getting barbecue pits into people's homes and they're cooking barbecue more often. They're, they're eating barbecue more often in Denver. I don't even think it's slowly happening. Denver rather rapidly is turning into a barbecue consuming uh, city in ways that it was nowhere near that even as little as five years ago when, when, uh, when I first got going. Uh, and, I, and again, I, I got massive. Sean, so I know that's not at all the question that you asked, but it somehow no. uh, went down that path. But yeah, the relationship with Wabi, Wabi, tying this all back together, Wabi's event, the Denver Barbecue Festival, is also bringing a, a level of credibility to the to, to barbecue. So he brought in a lot of these very well-known names. I know we had, had conversations where he's going to get more Denver places uh, in it for uh, the upcoming years. We had to cancel it this year because of COVID, but, but, but festivals like that, things like that it is certainly contributing to the barbecue uh, scene here. But through that, I got to, they, they host that at uh, Mile High Stadium in Powerfield now. And I got to meet the people out there, um, became friends with them, went on a trip to Kansas City with them. Uh, I'm trying to think what we, oh, we went out there to, to, to uh, promote the Denver Barbecue Festival and uh, got along well with them. And then the conversations just started happening and then it worked out well for them. It worked out well for us. So we negotiated a two-year uh, deal um, with that. And that just ended this year. And I'm very happy to say that we got a five-year deal in place for five, five more future years at Empire Field too. And, and the people selling, at, selling barbecue at Broncos games and whatever other major event comes through. Right, right. Yep. Yeah, so we got a we got a nice kiosk there. We were on the club level up there this year. 
Uh, hopefully we can get back there on the club level next year. Uh, but that's, I mean, this is a football town. This is a, uh, the, the, the people here in Denver love their Denver Broncos. Um, it's been tough years the last couple of years. Um, but, uh, I think we've got, don't, don't go tough play. years on me. I'm surprised we beat you this last weekend. I was, I was waiting for us to choke that away. There, there's, there's been plenty. Don't, don't, don't sing me a bad song. I, I lost, I lost my team to a different city. And I've got 32, 32 NFL team, NFL fan bases that don't like me. So oh, no sad songs from you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just be happy you're slanging barbecue in two locations oh, out of Empower Field. Awesome. How about that? Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, so tell, I mean, I, I love the lesson in that story is that it takes the act of getting involved. And I think that's something that, you know, as a single unit business owner, as somebody, a lot of what we learned was getting outside of the four walls of our restaurant. Um, you know, by having to be grassroots, by having to be scrappy, it forced us to exactly like no one gave a shit about us. We're in the part of San Diego that nobody cares about. But by getting out of it and by going, well, what can we do? Where can we participate? you start to get known. And if you do a good job and if you have great food and you have great hospitality, guess what? You're top of mind. And then next thing you know, I mean, did you ever think that you would be serving your barbecue at Broncos games? No. I mean, it, it, no. It's, it, it's, it, you have to pinch yourself, right? Totally. Totally do. And, and, and Sean, it's, it, it's all of this, this whole ride in just five years, none of it. I never thought any of it. I mean, it started uh, as you as you as a judge. You, you went to judge judge some barbecues and KCBS contests. That's it. That's that's so, Sean. That's exactly <laughs> how I got into all of this. So when I moved out to, uh, to, to to I actually moved to Boulder for a job in Gun Barrel. Gun Barrel. What, what kind of work? Uh, I was in uh, marketing and sales for a medical device company. It's now Medtronic. At the time, it was Covidian, formerly Tyco Healthcare formerly Mellencroft, formerly Nelcor Puritan Bennett. So I had a variety of sales and marketing management jobs with them. And that's what kind of moved, moved me, moved me around. And so when I had moved out here, um, I was, I was about to take another job to go somewhere else. I met my now wife and I was probably 32, 33. I was like, man, I want to have kids. I don't want to just keep bouncing around and doing all that kind of stuff. I met a woman that I could see there was a chance that I would want to be with this lady and start a family with this lady. And so when I got asked to go somewhere else, I said, no. And then when you get to these certain levels, these corporations, it gets pretty political and it wasn't bad, but it didn't necessarily wasn't great because the expectation was just to go on uh, somewhere else. And they brought in a new management slate and it just, it, it was fine, but it wasn't great. Right. And so I left there. It lacked meaning. Yeah. Yeah. And, And it just, it's part of their jobs is to continue to develop certain people and stuff like that too. So um, I left there and I started a medical device and pharmaceutical recruiting company, leveraging the relationships I had built in that industry for a few years. And so I was doing that and I was working out of my home doing that. And I had this time on the weekends, uh, to do whatever you know, right, I, I wanted to do. And I had just moved out here and I'm not a barbecue snob. As long as it's, it's smoked well and not overly seasoned or overly sauced, I'm happy to be with it. Um, so I, I found my favorite places 
in St. Louis. In fact, I joke around with uh, with Mike Emerson of Peppy's and Mike Johnson of Sugarfire that had they had their restaurants uh, in St. Louis when I was there, I would never have even moved away because uh, I've been happy <laughs> with all the barbecue that were there, right? But I used to go to Bandanas and I love Bandanas. It's a regional chain in St. Louis and that's where I went and got my barbecue fix all the time uh, in St. Louis. Moved out to California. I found a place in, in Lafayette, uh, California. I lived in San Ramon. It was great. It was fantastic. I went there probably once every two weeks, got my barbecue fixed, moved out here to Colorado, and I drive 30 to 45 minutes. I find a place. It was great. I'd go back a second time, and it was okay, but it wouldn't justify like the 45-minute drive to, to go wherever. So it was, it was there was good barbecue, kind of inconsistent, but certainly good barbecue in different places, but it wasn't necessarily scratching that itch that I, I really had to scratch for, for satisfying uh, barbecue on a consistent basis. So I went online and I found the Kansas City Barbecue Society and I found out they put on these professional barbecue contests all over the country. And I thought, holy cow, I can be a judge and I can eat the most amazing barbecue ever. But as any judge will tell you, you also get the guy who everyone says has great barbecue. They need to go put it into a contest (laughs) and you get his barbecue uh, too. But, but you, I mean, you do, for me, I like competition barbecue. A lot of people, they don't like it because it's too sweet. It's one bite barbecue. It really packs, packs a punch. Right. But I think my most favorite, some of my most favorite, there's restaurants that are putting out amazing barbecue, but I think underneath the judge's tent on a Saturday at, at a good contest is a great place to get fed and you need some barbecue. Uh, but I started out as a judge just, just to do that. And then after judging, being a competitive person, I thought, man, wouldn't it be fun to get in one of these contests one of these weeks? And so I, I got into a contest, got my ass kicked, got my ass kicked for a good good two years. Eventually turned that around. Uh, so wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Take me back. This yeah. is You meet the woman of your dreams. What is she telling you when you're like, I'm going to go, first of all, I'm going to judge, which it takes yeah. all day long, yes. all day yeah. long to judge. Yeah. which means you're not home. And then yeah. you're like, okay, not only was I going to judge, but now I'm actually going to go there for the entire weekend. What, how does she sign off on that? Well, we didn't have any kids at that time. <laughs> yeah, that makes- so she was actually like, get the heck out of the house. You're annoying me. Go get out of here. Right. <laughs> so she's, actually, she's been very supportive uh, through, through all of this stuff, which is great. Uh, but there's always been that balance when you're around somebody all the time, you need a little bit of release and it's probably better for our relationship yeah. to get out of the house for a day or, or a day and a half. Sure. Yeah. Certainly when we started having kids, a lot of that, uh, a lot of that uh, changes. So you decided uh, to open up a barbecue restaurant instead? Instead <laughs> 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 just doing on the weekends, I'm going to do it 365. <laughs> we're, we're a sick breed, aren't we? <laughs> yes, no doubt about that. I mean, no doubt about that. I mean, there's much easier ways to punish yourself than yes, to there are much that, easier right? ways. Uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's a crazy ride. What started out just judging and then competing in contests, and then you were winning contests. You were winning like significant contests. Yeah, it took it took about two years. 2013, 2014, we won a lot. We won uh, the team of the year out here. We got invited to a lot of really good invitational turn uh, contests, and that's where I really got inspired to open up a restaurant. And it was never never my dream to open up a restaurant, uh, but doing a lot of those invitationals, I got to meet a lot of guys, and they had barbecue restaurants. And they would share their revenue and what they were doing. Um, and I was just like, holy cow, that is, that's amazing. The amount of volume, the amount of barbecue you're selling, the amount of revenue you're selling. And I was really inspired uh, by that to, to, to give it a shot. And, and, and I'm not one to ever look at a challenge and be like, oh, I can't do that. In fact, I re- you know, kind of in this, the same lineage, I remember going to the contest in Frisco, even before I did 
first decided to be a judge and there was a, a barbecue team right there. And he's like, Hey, and we were just talking. And I still remember very vividly walking into Frisco, the smell of all of the aroma of all the, the, the barbecue, the brisket, the ribs being smoked and all the combinations of all those different aromas, uh, the music being played, uh, the, the people running around smiling, the, the beer being served, walking around, drinking beer, sampling barbecue from all these different vendors, hearing the music from the band. I, I was like, this is, I, I don't want to leave this place. I want to figure out a way to make this happen for seven days uh, in a row, like barbecue festivals and stuff are, are still to this day, one of my favorite places to just go and hang out. And I remember walking around, seeing all the different vendors. I remember Kelly Wirtz uh, from Four Legs Up. I mean, he had this whole like world champion stuff. I'm like, wow. I'm like, that is so impressive. I remember just Googling o- over what all, all these guys, different setups and all that kind of stuff. And there was one guy that I started talking with walking by and he's like, like, Hey, this is a rib that I just turned in at a contest. Are, are you interested in, in trying it? I'm like, heck yeah, I want to try that. And I tried it and it was hands down the very best rib I ever had in my life. And I remember his team name and I went back and I looked at the results of the contest and there was probably, I want to say like 55, 60 teams there. And his rib finished 40, like 45th <laughs> out of that. And it was the best rib I ever had. And, and, and I, I kind of created this story at that time in my head, how these guys like just make the most amazing barbecue. And if that rib was the best rib I ever had in my life, I would never be able to yeah. like these guys are just too much better than anything I could ever be sure. not aware that you could actually get better kind of at it once you threw yourself and really immersed yourself in it. Right. And uh, I was kind of intimidated by the thought of competing against those guys at the time. So I fell into judging judge met some of those competitors. And then um, the thing that I took for granted too, was these guys are in barbecue cities and this was a major a mistake or underestimation that I made at the time was a lot of these volumes were in those cities that we talked about where they have a lot of tourist business. I, 5% of our business. People is coming, like literally coming to the city for barbecue. Totally. Literally they booked their trip for barbecue. For their place. Driving, <laughs> get on a plane just to go to their place, right? right. And nobody's right. doing that for our place. Nobody's yeah. doing that for anyone in, in Colorado. Uh, so I, I vastly underestimated what we could potentially do um, based on the excitement of like, holy cow, I'm just blown away with uh, the volume that that you guys are doing. But through a lot of hard work, through a lot of perse- perseverance, through a lot of just uh, tenacity um, and just getting better every single day, I'm very proud of what we've accomplished so far in as little as, as five years. And I'm super excited uh, for the future. Like I'm, I'm super excited just to continue to just get after it and, and to see what we can do. So I have a story I'll tell you. Um, we, my wife's families, they're from Bulgaria. Um, they were over here last year um, for the holidays and my wife's father and my wife's mother, and they wanted lobster. So I was like, okay, great. We're going to go and get some fresh lobster. We went down to Valley Farm over Derek's shop and got some great lobster. And then, you know, I hadn't cooked lobster in a long time. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to Google. Let's, how do you, how do you grill a lobster tail? And sure enough, Jason Gunnall, <laughs> two million views. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? What is, like, and it was a phenomenal video. We made the lobster tail. It tasted delicious. Why did you make a YouTube channel? And how do you make a barbecue YouTube channel? 
I'm still trying to learn uh, how to make a good YouTube channel. Right. I started making those videos probably about uh, probably about seven years or so ago. I started having kids with with Heidi, and we were collecting all this footage, uh, getting all these like pictures, and then from pictures it evolved into video, and I was getting all these these little seven second, 10 second videos of, of the kids. And I was like, what are we going to do with all this, all this stuff? So I was like, oh man, I can learn how to make videos. And then we can put together videos. Like if we take a trip back to St. Louis, where I'm from, we can make like a video of our, of our trip from that St. That St. Louis trip by putting uh, a collection of all these little small videos together. And it would tell the story uh, of the trip. So that's how it all started. So ironically, I taught myself how to make those videos uh, by watching YouTube videos. And then since barbecue was really my, my passion and what I was most interested in at the time, and I was watching all these other YouTube uh, guy videos, I remember watching Malcolm uh, yeah. in, in the early days. Oh, a lot of the other guys, like Ballistic Barbecue, he's a San Diego guy. Do you know Greg? I don't know Greg. No. Oh, I, I should probably introduce you, yeah, please. Introduce you guys to him. But Greg's out there in San Diego. And Greg awesome. was one of the very first YouTube barbecue guys. Like you would have a great segment. Uh, just having Greg on talking about yeah. that kind of stuff. And I remember watching a lot of those guys and again, being very inspired by them, thinking them, thinking of them as uh, very cool. The same kind of uh, feeling I got by looking at those competition barbecue guys. I'm like, wow, look at these guys putting out these, they're these, these masters of the backyard, creating all this really great barbecue and, and teaching me how to do it. And you get that sense of reciprocity almost by like, wow, thank you for teaching me how to, to cook, 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 cook good food. And so I thought, oh, what the heck, let's make a couple of videos and put that out there. And one of the things that I, that I got out of that the most was the connection you got from the other barbecue YouTube creators. And there would be different types of uh, Facebook groups where you'd send messages back and forth. Yeah. And I started developing really good relationships with, with the other YouTube barbecue creators. And that was great. And they were helping each other out, giving each other tips and feedback and all that. And that was more just a, a thing for fun uh, to just kind of create with other or to connect with other people who were passionate about creating that kind of stuff. And uh, just kind of, I uh, just, I mean, I, did, I would never really took it seriously. My, my very first goal in doing it was just to try to get to a hundred subscribers, got to a hundred subscribers and then it was get to a thousand subscribers, got to a, th a thousand subscribers. And I was like, holy cow, could we actually ever get to 10,000 subscribers? And then it got to 10,000 subscribers. And then uh, I networked with a, a YouTube uh, guy who puts out uh, videos to teach people how to make, make YouTubes, YouTube, excuse me, good YouTube content. And, uh, and we became uh, friends and I just got, I got burnt out on it. Making YouTube videos is a, a ton of work, right? And, yes. uh, and it, is, had, it, is, it is a serious job. It is a full-time full job. First and, it, job. and you can't you get into right. making hundred percent. You can't get into it thinking you're going to like make money or anything like that. It's because you got, it's a passion project. You got to love doing it. And I had the restaurants, I had the kids, the kids had their events and all the, all the times when I was making these videos, the kids were little and you can see them in, in the early videos, they're running around the house <laughs> in the background. Sometimes they're in it and all that. And I would just do it on the weekends, filming whatever food I was cooking. But as they got older, they had sporting events, they had different things. And you, I just didn't have the time to do that. So yeah. I took a couple years off for making the YouTube uh, videos. And if I was going to consider myself a YouTube creator, that's probably the big, biggest mistake within YouTube. YouTube loves consistency. They love the, the creators that's, that's continually putting out product 
uh, so that uh, people are subscribing and accumulating watch time on, on their videos. And so now I just fired that back up again, probably about two or three months ago. And it really does feel like uh, we're starting from scratch all over again. And I wish I would have found a way to try to keep those going for those couple of years I took off. But it was it was too hard. We talked about time yeah. earlier. It's too hard uh, balancing all, all of that kind of stuff. And the time just wasn't there on the weekends. Uh, to, I to think that's, to that's great insight because that's what we've found in the podcasting space, in the Instagram space, the tick, like you name it on social media, the platform is always better. The more you give it, yeah. the more you give it and the more consistent you give it, but it goes back to a time allocation. You know, how do you produce original content made specific for that platform? Because yeah. making a YouTube video is different than making a TikTok video. Yes. You know, and like, understanding the nuances of both of those platforms and trying to repurpose content. Yes, it works sometimes, but really TikTok wants TikTok content. Yeah. TikTok, you can go and share it on Instagram, but really Instagram Reels wants Instagram Reel content. Yeah. And, you know, that's ultimately the challenge that all of us, all of us face. And I think, you know, it's a challenge, but for me, it's exciting. It's exciting because it's a level playing field for everybody. I mean, really, is there's never been a time where no matter who you hire, you still have to stay on top of marketing. I mean, it's in your blood. Marketing and sales is in your blood. So no matter what, you're a part of it. You're a part of that story. You're a part of that documenting process. Yeah. And, that, and that's scary to let that go and to hand that off to someone else. I mean, that's that's just, that, just like the barbecue. Uh, you know, you you cook it to let, allow somebody else to cook it. You cut it to allow somebody else to cut it. Or, or is it going to... Uh, be the same way, done the same way that you would do it. And it's your name on the, on the wall. It's your reputation. It's your money. That's, that's at risk, you know, and it's, it's, it's scary to hand, hand that stuff off to, to other people. What, uh, what kind of anything new in any new app that you're using that you're excited about or new technology? I get excited about all of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably you and me both. Yeah, but, you, but you say, you know, you, you get them all, you, you play around with them, you see what the potential is, you see what the audience is. You talked about it. You see what kind of time investment it would take to create the content that you need to, to create in order to stick out on there. You see what kind of engagement you can get from the people that are on there. And one of the things that I've never done a good job at is really dedicating myself to just to just one. Um, I, 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 I do have massive ADD. I'm all over the place. I'm doing, a, I'm doing a little bit in everything versus just a whole lot and just, and just one thing. And, uh, uh, it's, it, I, I, I don't, I'm trying to think right now if there's anything I'm like excited about, uh, LinkedIn, I kind of got into LinkedIn maybe about, uh, two and a half months ago, but I'm not getting any traction on there. And, and I think part of the reason is, is that uh, a lot of my industry is not in there at all. Yep. Uh, so if I talk about restaurant related stuff, it's, it's not practical to a lot of the other people that are, that are on there. Um, if I'll put a video about cooking on there, the people aren't, they don't care about that, that are on there. They're on there to network with other people. They're on they're they're on there to, uh, to make inroads uh, in whatever business they're, they're working on or whatever industry they're in. But it's, it's not, it's not a good one for, for restaurant people, but I enjoy it because it's, it's, it's just business stuff. You don't get a lot of the political stuff. You don't get a lot of the other d distracting kind of stuff. I enjoy business in general, not just restaurant stuff. So I do enjoy seeing a lot of the different content that's going on just, just in business. So as a, as a consumer, I'm really enjoying LinkedIn, 
but as someone trying to grow an audience or to grow an influence, I'm not, and it's only been two months, but I'm not, it's just friends and people I know, or people that want my business that are other vendors that are engaging with me. And I'm not really getting any traction on there, but I am excited. I just created a GQ page on, on LinkedIn about a month ago. And, And I, again, I just haven't had the time. Like you said, there's, there's different pieces of content for different platforms. You got to re-edit it, repurpose it to put it on there. It's like, oh my God, it's just it's just so exhausting. So I am excited to get this other person on board to maybe help with some of that. And I, I do think our business profile on LinkedIn, because people, they still go to work. Well, not really so much right now, but they're still in their home office. They still got to eat. If we can do a good job of setting up our content on there, and there's, there's really not a lot of restaurants at all utilizing LinkedIn business pages yet that if we can start getting our content out there, uh, I think it can get a lot of views and it can start driving some awareness, uh, driving uh, some people into our restaurants and maybe offering some incentives to go ahead and order right now online, get our food taken to them real quickly. But that's that I see that as as an opportunity and something I'm very excited to try uh, here in 2021. And I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a full go. I'm going to go probably four to six months of consistently putting out content on those LinkedIn uh, business pages to see if we can get some traction on that. Another thing uh, too, is I've I've been pretty good about an email database. We've got over 30,000 email addresses in our, in our database, which is great. I mean, those are, those are Denver barbecue eaters. And so whenever I need to get something done, uh, I just send a message out to all of them and, and we can get it. Like if I need to do, I need to get some sales really quick. I can offer an incentive out to them. We can get the sales really quick. And that's what's really helped us out a lot uh, through COVID and through those first couple months of uncertainty with that. But I'm excited to try text. I haven't done anything with text. Um, I've started to uh, be a subscriber on some other big brands, um, text marketing to just kind of get a feel for how they communicate and and what they do through that. So we're going to give that a shot here in in, in 2021 also. Uh, But anything that's out there, Sean, I mean, like you, I I give it a shot, see how it goes. And if it works, then we'll keep doing it. If it doesn't, we'll abandon it and try something different. Yeah, I think it's it's really important to beta test. I mean, it's important to touch things and taste them and see how it is as a consumer. Like you said, like it, if I don't like it, if I don't like how it feels, if I don't like how it tastes, I don't like the feeling of it, then we're not going to do it. But if I do like it and somebody that's a brand that's in a different industry is doing it away, email marketing in a way, text messaging in a way, putting out content on LinkedIn in a certain way, if it looks good, then we're going to try it. We're going to try it because that's the power of exactly all the stuff that we're talking about is that there's, there isn't there as far as we've come, we are so early. Yes. We are so early. It is just unbelievable. And we have to reemphasize it every single show, but we are so early that now is the time for people to get involved and you can get involved. You can open up restaurants at a fraction of the price that you and I had to open up our restaurants. Do some of those virtual ones. I find it super expensive out here for the brick and mortar. <laughs> those prices that you're talking about, I thought California was expensive. <laughs> what's going on over in Colorado? Denver, uh, what's happening? And construction is crazy. Like I thought construction wow. prices would come down and it, it, it and they haven't. I mean, they stayed the same. A lot of the raw materials, the tariffs on them are, are, are expensive, but we just don't have uh, the skilled sub subcontractors out here that the cost of construction is super high. That it's it's sad. It's sad to see what I thought was such a great industry and a great opportunity for a chance for people to, to, to capture the American dream and start their own business. It's sad to see it got to a point where it's now pricing out so many people. Cause there's a lots, 
of people that have the will, they have the tenacity, they have the ability to do it, but they're just, they're, they're priced out of it. But don't and, you see, don't you see the supply and demand is going to change? I mean, there, the inventory, it, it's the same here. We have landlords here. We have, you know, commercial brokers here. They tell me this is how much it's going to cost. And I, I just know that that's not true. They're operating off of, off of old prices and those old prices, they're just not, no one's going to look for the 5,000 square foot restaurant next right. to the beach. That's not the restaurant that I'm looking for. Five years ago, yeah, you might have convinced me that that would be a great decision for me to go make and open up our second unit like that. I'm not looking for that. Yeah, and I also think that all things are like temporary too. What what, what might be the case right now that could all change in two or three years and, and those places that you talk about, there could be some great value there, whether they chop them up into two different places, who knows yeah. what what happens with all that too. But uh, it, it, just, it just saddens me to see um, what what I think could be a great opportunity for a lot of people to, to own their own business, to realize the American dream. Uh, it's so difficult for them. You just get suffocated with the initial startup costs. And, and I feel like we were very lucky that when I first started doing this, uh, when I first kind of got into this a little over six years ago, that wasn't the case. I mean, people right now would, would, would their, their jaws would drop at the idea of eighteen dollars a square foot rent. Like we're looking at our third place right now, and I mean, I can't find anything, anything under thirty-two to thirty-five dollars in in a decent place. And both of my places right now are place A and place B. Uh, they, they have zero visibility, and that and that's always been kind of nice about barbecues. You can get away with a restaurant with zero visibility because people will. They'll, they'll make the extra turn. They'll drive the extra mile to, to go get it based on the word of mouth and, and what they hear about the place. And the word, and the word of internet, the reputation. The word of internet. Yeah, yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah, we, I mean, the internet, it's, it makes it a level playing field if you get after it for, for a lot of people. And, uh, you know, I recommend everybody to embrace it and not, not to be scared of it and just get out there and do it. But it's, it takes a lot because now you're putting yourself out there. People are going to judge you. You know, they're going to, they're going to make up ideas about you and you're going to be evaluated. And I tell a lot of my friends right now, it's like, you got to get on there to stop putting just pictures yeah. of your food out there, but people want to connect with you. And a lot of them are just afraid of how they're going to be judged and stuff like that. And now it's like, get in line. I, I got a line a mile long of people that think I'm an idiot or think I'm stupid or just think I'm lucky or whatever. And there's plenty of room for more people like that, but you can't let that fraction of eight to 10 to 15% of the people determine your fate or, or your outcome. You got to think about the, the 80% of people that, 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 that are, are thankful that you're doing what you're doing, that want to get to know you. They want to support you. People, people get crazy about their favorite brands. I mean, they, 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 they want to support you. They want to see you succeed. Uh, I mean, we get, I get so many messages from people like just so excited and so happy for us that we're not closing during COVID that we're doing okay. And, and I think innately inside people, people want to help other people and stuff. And it, it breaks my heart to, to see people uh, too scared to put themselves out there uh, on social media for fear of that five to 10% of the people. And most of the people, they're not even going to say that to your face. They're going to say it behind your face. So it's no big deal anyway. They're just talking about you that you're never going to hear about it, but just accept it for what it is. And, and no matter what, a certain amount of people aren't going to like you. Think about your relationships, your past girlfriends and, or, or boyfriends, if you're a girl listening to this, too. several of them may or may not like you or whatever. Or the kids you went to school, there's just always going to be people that don't like you for what you're doing. And maybe they don't like you because they're jealous of what you're doing and they wish they were doing it. Or maybe it's who knows what it is, several different reasons. But I, I just don't think that that's a good enough reason to not put yourself out there. And, and, and my worry 
is I just don't want to be, you know, I want to be older and regret not doing different things because I was scared. I was fearful of doing something. You just got to just do it and, and take it as it comes. Yeah. I, I think that's, I mean, it's phenomenal advice and I can't tell you how many conversations I have with people that I love and respect that have incredible businesses that are trying to scale their businesses yet they're nowhere to be found on the internet. Right. You know, they're in a traditional type of business, they do marketing a certain way. And, you know, the answers it's right in their pocket. Yes. It's literally the answers right in your pocket. And like you said, the, the worst thing that could happen is it could be 20, 30, 10 years down the line. And you realize all these new industries have been created. All these new businesses have been created in old, old offline businesses where people are now talking to the camera, they're talking on TikTok, they're talking on Clubhouse, whatever the platform is, you name the platform. It's, it's simple. It's video, it's audio, it's written word and it's images. Like forget about the logo. I mean, the problems we attach, like, Oh, I feel this way about Facebook, right? Feel this way about Yelp, or I feel this way about Twitter, like get over your feelings and just start talking and letting people know who you are and what you do. Right. And exactly to your point, you know what the secret is that, they already judged you anyways. Yes. <laughs> it's the internet, you going on the internet has nothing to do with them judging. They've already judged you for who you are. Yes, I agree. And Sean, they're going to judge you within the first five seconds. Correct. And they're like, all right, I'm going to listen to this guy a little bit longer. I'm all right, I'm done. I'm done with it. He's I'm done with it. Exactly. I don't, I don't like the visor he's wearing today. I don't like the fact that he's I do like the visor he's wearing. I'm definitely going to listen more. <laughs> Well, Jason, uh, how how can uh, how can our friends uh, find you? Where where online? Where, what's your favorite digital playground that you're you're actively on? So the one I check the most uh, is my personal Instagram. So that's just at Jason Ganahl, J S O N G A N H L. And uh, like I mentioned earlier, LinkedIn. I, I I check in on my LinkedIn account probably two or three times a day. Uh, Facebook. Uh, I don't really do a whole lot on Facebook. I'm more on the GQ page on Facebook. Uh, Twitter, I don't really do a whole lot on Twitter. I've got a Twitter account on YouTube. I'm on YouTube now uh, every single day, um, checking out what, what, what my buddies are doing with their different uh, pages and trying to learn learn from it too. And when uh, when is the Denver uh, Barbecue Festival? Let's forget about COVID, but typically when is it and how do people get tickets? Because I, I know that that's on my list. I don't know when. Oh, Sean, you got to come out. That'd be fun. Oh, yeah, I'm coming for sure. Oh, good. This year? I don't know. I don't know. It's going to happen. With okay. the, I've, got, I've got a three. I've got a three and a half year old and a one and a half year old. So <laughs> we're, we're deep. We're deep in the the toddler stage. So so we'll see you in a couple of years then. Huh? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. You, you know, a true dad with four kids. You, you know. <laughs> so uh, Denver Barbecue Festivals ever every year at Father's Day weekend. That's perfect. Yeah. Well, I can I can get away with a Father's Day gift to uh, <laughs> see my friend Jason eat some incredible barbecue. Probably make it over to Boulder too. Awesome. That'd be great. Well, we appreciate you. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, please follow Jason on those platforms, interact with them and stay curious, get involved and don't be afraid to ask for help. Mm-hmm.